Thank you, and once again, good morning to students and teachers of the Word of God. We've been studying now for many, many weeks the subject uh, called Christology and systematic and dogmatic theology, which simply means the doctrine to concern the Lord Jesus Christ. On this last series of lessons, running about four or five broadcasts, we've been discussing the phenomena that will take place at the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've talked about the second coming of Christ with regards to Israel, with regards to the church, and with regards to God. In this last broadcast that deals properly with the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're talking about the coming of Christ with regard to the nations, with regard to society as a whole, with regard to the Antichrist and the devil, and with regard to the physical universe. After all, we've said many times in these broadcasts, the second coming of Christ is by far the most important subject in the Word of God, and for every reference dealing with church membership and water baptism, there are more than ten that deal with the second advent of Jesus Christ. So we know what to think of the preachers who spend a lot of time arguing about baptism and arguing about uh, Acts and Matthew and Hebrews, about how to get saved or how to stay saved, and <clears throat> all this nonsense. There are more verses in the Bible, the second coming of Christ, than there are on how to get saved. Now, this may be hard to believe, but this is hard to believe only to the ignorant man who hasn't spent any time with the Word of God. And when we say ignorant, we're not referring to uneducated people. Many uneducated people have more brains than educated people. We are referring to the vast number of elders, priests, bishops, uh, Campbellite elders, and preachers, and uh, popes, and Bible teachers, who, because of their self-righteousness, are headed for hell, quoting Scripture. And when we say ignorant, we mean that bunch. We mean the bunch that goes to the Bible nitpicking perverse to prove they're right, instead of going through the Bible to see what the Bible says. Any man who studies the Bible to see what it says knows that it says more than ten times as much about the second advent of Christ as any other two subjects combined. <clears throat> One must never forget that the term baptism is never connected with uh, justification. It is never connected with redemption. It is never connected with eternal life. As a matter of fact, only once or twice is water baptism connected with the word saved, and then in the context in which it appears, it is perfectly apparent that uh, it is not the saving agency, but belief is the saving agency. So we find the water dogs spending a lot of time wasting your time and God's time talking about baptism. We know what they are. Uh, these spiritual and religious perverts have not been rooted and grounded in the Word of God. If they were, they'd spend a great deal of more time talking about the main theme of the Word of God, which is the finished work of Jesus Christ, not on Calvary's cross, but at his second advent to come and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. Or as John the Revelator said, even so, come Lord Jesus. Now, in this broadcast, we're talking about the second coming of Christ with regards to the nations and unregenerate individuals. The coming, of course, is a happy day for the church and Israel, but it is a sad day for anybody else. In Matthew 24, verse 30, we read, Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth shall mourn. Now, there's an unhappy day for the twelve tribes of Israel when they realize that they have been guilty of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. In Revelation 1, verse 7, we read, All the tribes of the earth shall mourn over him. So in the passage, you're plainly told that the tribes will mourn, and not only the tribes of Israel, but the tribes of all the earth. The twelve tribes, well, they've been scattered abroad. The coming of second coming of Jesus Christ is for judgment against the unsaved world. When speaking of the second coming of Christ, the Bible uses all the negative terms that the Holy Spirit can possibly muster. 
It speaks of a day of the second coming of Christ as a day of wrath, of gloominess, of darkness, of judgment, of terror. The judgment of the nations will follow the revelation of Christ in Matthew 25. There we read in verse 31, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall he gather all nations, and from those nations he will draw out sheep and goats. There's no such thing in the past, of course, as sheep nations and goat nations. Individuals taken from nations who helped out Israel will make up the sheep. Individuals from nations that did not help Israel will make up the goats. And in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, verse 9, we read the Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes back, comes back in flaming fire, taking vengeance, not only upon those that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but upon the agnostics. This is one thing the edu uneducated man or the educated man forgets when he shoots off his mouth about being an agnostic. He forgets that when Jesus Christ comes back in First Thessalonians, or rather Second Thessalonians 1, 7 to 9, he comes back not only to bring judgment upon them that obey not the gospel, but upon them that, quote, know not God. Now, this word is called agnostic in the seminaries and the colleges and the schools, and agnostics are proper subjects for flaming fire. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 to 9, because of their arrogant, willful stupidity, which has nothing to do with not being able to know. It has to do with willful rejection of revelation because they're dirty, rotten, damnable lives. And we say that we are referring to the inner life in case you can't be caught in your outer life. <laughs> Many polished aluminum garbage cans fresh from the factory suppose they contain jewels instead of garbage. You find that thing quite common among the educated class. So when a man professes to be an agnostic, he is merely expressing to you his profession that he is a candidate for flaming fire and vengeance. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 to 9. His agnosticism is willful. His agnosticism is calculated, and it comes from self-righteous rejection of the truth because the truth is unpalatable, unpalatable to the unregenerate, Christ-rejecting, filthy, dirty, unregenerate, depraved heart in the natural condition. This, of course, is looked upon as hate literature and prophecy of gloom by the unregenerate people who imagine that everything should be looked at positively except the Word of God. So when we talk about the deceitful, unregenerate, wicked, filthy, godless, depraved heart of the unregenerate sinner, we are speaking of terms that are not acceptable to the wicked, filthy, godless, godless depraved, unregenerate sinner. He looks at himself always in the positive light and the Word of God in the negative light. And as we said, this is very common, especially among the educated class of people, who have been taught their agnosticism by agnostics who are justly, just as willfully, deliberately rejecting the truth as they themselves. Or to put it more succinctly, if the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall into a ditch. On the words of the Apostle Paul, seducers and evil men shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So an agnostic is a fit subject for flaming fire and vengeance, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 to verse 9. At that time, the Lord Jesus Christ judged the nation. The criteria of judgment will not be as your name in the Lamb's book of life. The criteria of judgment is, how have you treated Christ's brethren, the native physical sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? You will notice in the judgment in Matthew 25, it is the throne of his glory, not the white throne. You notice in Matthew 25, the judgment is on this earth, the white throne judgment is after heaven and earth have passed away. You will notice in Matthew chapter 25 the judgment is of nations, 
Now, out of individual unregenerate dead coming up from hell, you will notice the criteria of judgment of Matthew 25 is the treatment of Israel, not whether or not a man's name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. This should be heeded to and given regard to very carefully because the amillennial Campbellite and the postmillennial liberal, in their blinded, deluded ignorance, suppose that there is only one final judgment, one final resurrection. This blasphemous heresy came from the call of Christ-rejecting Christians and Bible-rejecting Christians in the first and second century. We say Christ-rejecting Christians because there always have been people who profess the name of Christ and use the name of Christ who are nothing but unregenerate, hell-bound sinners, according to Matthew chapter 7, verse 20 to 21. And these Bible-rejecting sinners always believe in one judgment because they hope their works were good enough to get them by. A careful student of the Word of God who has regard for the Word of God will observe that the judgment of Matthew 25 is not the judgment seat of Christ of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, nor is it the judgment seat of Christ of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, nor is it the white throne judgment of Revelation chapter 20. And this is why we are told to study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word of truth has proper divisions, and the judgment of the nations at the second advent of Jesus Christ has nothing to do with the judgment of the unsaved, resurrected dead at the resurrection of damnation in Revelation chapter 20, where the criteria is not the treatment of Israel, but the criteria is whether or not a man's name is in the book of life. So the nations are judged, and the sheep are divided from the goats, and then those remaining on earth will be forced to serve Christ as he rules this earth a thousand years with a rod of iron. The millennial reign of Jesus Christ is a fascist, military dictatorship with a right dictator in power. Now, as we've said before, there are many, many verses of the Old Testament to deal with these matters as well as the New Testament. You'll notice in Psalm 2, verse 9, and Zechariah 9, verse 10, and Revelation 11, verse 15, that the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. You'll notice, too, this has nothing to do with the spiritual kingdom of God manifesting in this age. Uh, the water dogs and Russellites and no-hellers and various assorted cults and heretics and sects often confound the kingdom of God with the kingdom of heaven. And forget to tell you that the kingdoms of this world, that is the United Nations, the HEW, the House of Representatives, the Senate, and the World Council of Churches, and the North Atlantic uh, Peace Pact, so forth and so on, will eventually have to be turned over to Jesus Christ, who will take them over and rule them with a rod of iron against their will, enforcing upon them his moral standards instead of theirs. If you want to know really what's wrong with this world system, it's very simple. They have taken the, the son of the owner of the vineyard and cast him out of the vineyard and slain him and said, now the vineyard is ours. By putting him in the tomb and sealing the tomb, they were supposed to have gotten rid of him, and now they want to set up their own moral standards, their own ethics, their own principles, and as a consequence, for 2,000 years, there has nothing, nothing been but bloodshed and war, and that's what will continue until Jesus Christ comes back. I say that with apologies to no one. The fact that you're a doctor or lawyer could no more interest me than if you weren't alive. Where the Bible speaks, you can keep your mouth shut. The Bible says there will be wars and rumors of wars for the second advent of Jesus Christ, and until this world submits to Jesus Christ by brute force against their will... Psalm 2, verse 9, Zechariah 9, verse 10, Revelation 11, verse 15, there will be nothing but war, torture, robbery, rape, mugging, stealing, dope traffic, prostitution, taxes, inflation, suffering, pain, and death. And I say that positively with charity toward all, looking at the bright side of the 
cloud with the silver lining. <laughs> we often have these positivistic nuts like these people in the insane asylum that live in cloud land and think because they're making money and their bills are paid and they're in good health, the world's getting better. But you've had those kind of maniacs in every generation that have no regard for the truth, and this world here hasn't run out of them yet and won't for a while. The nation will not cease war and live in peace until Micah 4, verse 3, Isaiah 2, verse 4. Now, to confirm the truth of what I'm saying, one should go to New York City, called Stink City by the garbage department, and Dumb City by the teachers, and Deaf City by the police force, and see there in the midst of a depraved, corrupt, stinking, filthy, godless, stupid, wicked, downtown, hellish, immoral collapse of all morals and principles, a huge white wasp sepulcher a couple of hundred feet in the air with Isaiah 2-4, so help me King James, stamped on the side of it. Isaiah 2 verse 4, from an authorized version, is what is on the side of the United Nations building in downtown New York. Would you believe it? So we talk about these things we're not getting out of our field. I mean, some of you dumb thumps think we preachers talk this way. We're involved in getting involved in politics, now leaving our uh, religious talks, leaving our theological seminar, and getting involved in things that are none of our business. Uh, you don't have very good sense to start with. The leading ruling outfit in the world used the King James Bible to justify 47 wars since 1945. There have been 47 wars since 1945 engineered and constructed and augmented and coached and promoted and gauged by the United Nations, which has Isaiah 2-4 on the side of the building saying there'll be no more war. How funny can you get outside of peanuts? War will not cease and nations live in peace until the King of Kings come back and the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ, and then he'll put down the United Nations and every major leader in the world, and they will kiss his feet and lick the dust. Psalm 110. And the fact that you may be a Mohammedan or a Buddhist and a communist and deeply resent this, it is no concern to me, and it is certainly no concern to God. That Bible said, He that hath the Son hath life, he that hath not the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And if your course is bound determined to set yourself against that book, and many of you it is, and your course is bound and determined to be established in your own opinion, and with many of you that is the case, then you can jolly well take exactly what you have coming to you. You will bow the knee, you will bend, bow the head, you will bend the knee, and your tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Lord to the glory of God the Father, and your feelings about it aren't going to really make any difference one way or another. Now, with regard to society as a whole, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, according to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9. With regard to the Antichrist and the devil, the Antichrist will be revealed after the rapture, and his seven-year reign of terror will be culminated with the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ from heaven with his saints. These are the verses that speak of this important matter. Uh, pretty soon the United Nations will be taken over by the Antichrist under a Roman communist setup. The Antichrist, of course, as a religious figure, will want worship. He'll want to be called Holy Father and have people bow down and worship him. So when he takes over the United Nations under the auspice of the International Socialistic Soviet Council of World Nations, which will form up with the United States as a minor nation, United States a minor nation, 
under that uh, setup, of course, you'll lose all your rights and your property. That's uh, how it goes. You know, the first step in uh, communism is gun registration. And the purpose for that is so when they confiscate your property, you can't fight back. Now, I know some of you people don't know that. I mean, there's no fool like a positivistic fool. If you want a man who find a man who just hadn't got any sense, you find a fellow who always thinks positive, you find a fellow who's about half crazy. They're more optimists in the insane asylum than anywhere. You can't take property from a man unless you come and take it by force. You can't take it by force if he's armed. Do you understand that? Some of you seem to have trouble with that. Now, you can't get his weapon from him until you confiscate it. You can't confiscate it until you make him register it and then threaten him with a violation of the law if he doesn't turn it over. The first step in a government takeover is gun registration. And the next one is gun confiscation. And the next one is the abolition of private property. And you have the Marxist-Leninan setup. That's how it's done. You see what I mean, Jelly Bean? And when that takes place, then, of course, the United States will be a minor nation under a foreign government at Rome. And the Antichrist, when he takes over, won't have any trouble taking over you folks in Texas. No problem at all. You'll have a serial number, a telephone number, an area code number, a pension number, a social security number, a bank number, an area code number. He'll have your number. And his reign of terror for seven years will be ended when we read in 2 Thessalonians 2.8. And then shall be revealed... Uh, the, the Antichrist, the man of sin, whom the Lord Jesus shall uh, slay with the breath of his mouth and with the brightness of his coming. Revelation 19.20 tells the final end when the Antichrist is cast into the lake of fire. The devil shall be chained and cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years, beginning with the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in Revelation 20, verse 1 to 3, the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, was bound for a thousand years, and cast in the bottomless pit, and shall deceive the nations no more till the thousand years be fulfilled. We'll talk about that more when we talk about the millennial reign of Christ at a later date. Right now we're talking about the second advent of Jesus Christ to set up the 1,000-year reign. With regard to the Antichrist and the devil, the Antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet are destroyed physically, and are cast uh, into a lake of fire, and the lake of fire, they are alive in the lake of fire, their soul and body being destroyed. And in the lake of fire, burning for a thousand years, they are joined by the devil a thousand years later. In the meantime, the devil is cast in the bottomless pit and kept confined for a thousand years. And at the end of the thousand years, will come out to deceive the nations one more time to prove the unalterable truth presented by the Bible that the fault is not all the devils. Satan has a controversy with man and a controversy with God. And his point with God is, it isn't all my fault. And he's right. The depraved, unregenerate uh, nature of man is responsible for much of it. And without the devil present for a thousand years, man will go his way and prove that he is still a God-defying rebel. The devil will prove his point. He'll prove that a man who is positive about human nature is insane. He'll prove what Jesus Christ when he, what, uh, was telling the truth when he said, if you being evil. Now, this silly little uh, uh, fruit stand operator that appeared on this movie on TV was not that kind of a Christ. He was kind of a pansy. This little butterfly in this three-hour film, he was somewhat of a pansy. And uh, 
we would we wouldn't classify him as a man, let alone a Christian man. This little uh, little, little butterfly that flitted around the three-hour television show, this Jesus of Nazareth, was kind of a pancake pansy. He had nothing to do with the Christ who believed implicitly in the evilness and wickedness of human nature and said, You of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. You serpent, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? There's the Jesus Christ of the Bible, and there's the Jesus Christ of TV and radio and newspaper, and he's another Christ. He's a butterfly. You can catch him in a net. All right, when Jesus Christ comes back, he will slay the Antichrist and take over the nation of this world, and the devil will be put away for a thousand years. Now, there's something else. With regard to the physical universe, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, this creation shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. We read in Romans chapter 8, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God, and the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Notice again how the Bible not only takes for granted the innate wickedness and depravity and evilness and degeneracy of human nature, but the innate wickedness and depravity of Mother Nature. That is, the Bible always speaks negatively of what the unsaved people speak of positively, and always speaks positively of what the unsaved people speak of negatively. Let's make ourselves clear. An unsaved politician will always talk about making this world a better place to live upon. The Bible never wastes five minutes with it. The Bible says this earth has had it and is going to be burned. You see the difference? An unsafe politician will always talk about the people, government of the people, by the people, for the people. I had a dream where the people ran everything and the people the people. The Bible takes for granted the people are going to hell and the nations are dropping the bucket. Now that's the difference between the Bible-believing Christian and the apostate fundamentalist. That's the difference between the Bible-believing Christian and the Christian faculty member who doesn't believe the Bible. The Bible's approach is always negative to the positive and positive to the negative. Or to put it in the words of Jesus Christ, that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. That which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. That which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Or... That which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. I'll bet you didn't hear Jesus Christ quote that one, that three-hour plate about that little old butterfly, did you? I bet that wasn't in the greatest story ever told, was it? I bet you in Jesus Christ Superstar, they never quoted that one from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. That which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So with regard to the physical universe, the Bible takes for granted the creature is in the bondage of corruption, and it's expecting deliverance from this bondage, and is not being delivered from this bondage. And when Jesus Christ comes back, there is no deliverance from the bondage of corruption. Your body will fall apart and rot. Your hair will come out. Your chest will fall. The arches of your feet will drop. Your chest will slip on you, your stomach will bulge, your backbone will get hurting, your body will fall apart, your vein will turn varicose, your teeth will fall out, you will die and rot in the grave. Is that clear? Do you have any problem understanding that? Now, if a man is positive about that, like I said, he ought to be in a lunatic asylum. The wage of sin is death, and the curse placed on nature will only be removed when Jesus Christ comes back. 
In Isaiah 55, 13, instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And in Isaiah chapter 11, we're told the lion will be a vegetarian and eat straw like an ox. It'll mean peace in the animal world. Isaiah 65, 25 says the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock. They shall not hurt nor destroy my holy mountain, saith the Lord. Read it in Isaiah 11, verse 1 to 11. Isaiah 11, verse 1 to 11. The wilderness will become fruitful. Isaiah 32, 15 says, Until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness be a fruitful field. The desert shall blossom like a rose, according to Isaiah 35, 1. And all these things will happen because the second coming ushers in the millennium. The 1,000-year reign of Christ on this earth, where Jesus Christ will be the King of kings, the Lord of lords, where all nations shall be subject to him, where the United States government will finally be under the right ruler instead of a Bible-denying, gay liberation, women liberation, politicking, smooth-talking, cultured, slick-mouthed, professional politician. The United States has never had a man yet that ran its ship of state according to the Word of God. And the only time that the church ever ran the world was from 500 to 1500 A.D., and when the church at that time ran the world, it was the darkest age and the darkest period of history the world has ever known. There has never been a time when Italy, Spain, or France was ever run according to the Word of God. There has never been a time when the Holy Roman Empire was ever run according to the Bible. And at the one time in church history where the church ran the United Nations and the church controlled the world, it was the blackest, darkest, most demon-possessed, primitive, uncultured, uncivilized part of civilization the world has ever known till it was called the Dark Ages until recent times in which the positive thinkers decided maybe it wasn't so dark after all, <laughs> and now they call it the Middle Ages. Ain't we cute? When Jesus Christ comes back as King of kings and Lord of lords to sit upon the throne of David and be the political ruler of the Davidic, Messianic, Palestinian kingdom on this earth and reign over this earth for a thousand years with the governments of the United States, Great Britain, Italy, Spain, France, Germany, Russia, China, uh, Africa, and India subject to him. The leaders will bow before him and kiss the dust. There won't be a Mohammedan or a Buddhist or a Taoist or a Rosicrucian or a Zoroastrian or Benai Barith left upon the face of this earth, and every Orthodox Jew will have the King Messiah as his Messiah, the son of David, the King of the Jews. In view of this, we are warned to watch and be ready. Mark 13:33. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. In Matthew 24, verse 42, watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. We were warned that we have a stewardship given to us by our Lord, and it requires that we be faithful in the discharge of that responsibility. We should be careful to maintain a worthy character, 1 John 3 to 1 to 3. And we must do our very uttermost to further the cause of missions and hasten the Lord's return by preaching the gospel to every creature we can find a preacher to. That was our commission to preach the gospel to every creature. We should be about our Father's work, and if we can't go, we should give, and if we can't give or go, we should pray, and if we can go, give and pray, we should be doing all free. This concludes our series of broadcasts on Christology for a while on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, although we may make reference to it in future broadcasts. In our next series of lessons, we begin a series of lessons on pneumatology dealing with the deity, the personality, and the names and the work of the Holy Spirit, 
the third person of the Godhead. We have dealt on these last 41 broadcasts on theology, the subject matter in the Bible that deals with the person, nature, and work of God the Father, Christology, the verse that deals with the person, nature, and work of the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, and our third series of broadcasts, beginning with broadcast number 42 in the Theological Seminar of the Air, we shall deal with the subject matter that concerns the blessed third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Ghost, which is our next subject, pneumatology. Join us again at the same time next week in this broadcast for the first lesson in the Seminar of the Air on pneumatology, the personality of the Holy Ghost.